Hello there, my name is Kathleen, and this is the Osborne Tapes, the re-release of the Analyst Corner podcast with Debbie Osborne. Today's episode is all about fusion centers and features Colonel Joe Rosick. With over 35 years of experience in the areas of combating terrorism and homeland security, Colonel Rosick has served in a senior position within the White House and the Department of Defense, and played an integral role in the creation of the Department of Homeland Security and in the development of the nation's post-9-11 defense strategy. In this episode, Colonel Rosick discusses fusion centers and how they maximize technology to conduct analyses and facilitate information sharing, specifically how they assist law enforcement and homeland security partners in preventing, protecting against, and responding to crime and terrorism. Debbie and Colonel Rosick discuss the difference between strategic analysis and tactical analysis, and how fusion centers take the all-crimes-all-hazards method to which cases they assist with. A key point of Colonel Rosick is prevention instead of prepare and respond, and how he recommends doing this is through breaking down the cultural barriers of the need-to-know mindset and moving to a need-to-share mindset when it comes to fusion center data. So as you listen to the episode, take note of the narrative he's talking about and see if you notice a difference in how we talk about data today. Also, make sure to check out the notes from today's episode. There are several links that were mentioned by Debbie and Colonel Rosick that have since been updated and additional resources that may be helpful as well. All right, let's get into today's episode. Today's topic is collaboration and fusion centers. Our guest is Joe Rosick. Joe has a distinguished background with over 35 years of experience in the areas of combating terrorism and homeland security. Joe has served in senior positions within the White House and the Department of Defense, having played an integral role in the creation of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and in the development of the nation's post-9-11 defense strategy. Colonel Rosick served over 29 years in the U.S. Army. Most of it was served in the Special Forces, the Green Berets. In the immediate aftermath of the terrorist attack on the Pentagon on September 11, 2001, Colonel Rosick convened and directed the Secretary of Defense's Crisis Coordination Center at the Pentagon, synchronizing the department's response efforts. He then served as a subject matter expert for combating terrorism on the Vice President's National Domestic Preparedness Review review Group. He currently serves as Microsoft's Executive Director for Homeland Security and Counterterrorism, and it's a distinct honor to have Joe on this show um, since I was mostly a peon crime analyst sitting in the corner of the <laughs> Buffalo Police Department, but um, we have this nexus in this new age of communication where we could share information um, with people with the, as we share a common goal. Um, welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks. I'm happy to be here, Deborah. Great. Now, um, perhaps you could tell me a bit more about what collaboration and fusion centers means and what kinds of tools are available. Um, Some of our audience, including myself, uh, I do understand how fusion centers work, but I don't necessarily understand what business processes are. I, I actually have read about them, but I believe many people in my audience do not understand how we can look at crime and intelligence analysis as a business process and what kinds of tools are emerging and how they could be used so that we could better identify crime and terrorist threats. Uh, I think the first start out with is, is this is not so this is something Microsoft started in 2006 and we're, we've kind of taken this very slow because we wanted to evolve it correctly rather than just throw something out and and, and say that's the mark on the wall and let's go for it. We, we've judiciously research this. And we spent uh, a year on the ground with the Illinois State Police just watching them inside their intelligence center with their state troopers, with large cities, with a small city in Chicago, with their regional intelligence officers, before we came to a conclusion that basically when you get down to fusion, it's, it's intake from various disparate sources of information into a, some type of collaboration, virtual or physical, and where the information is then taken uh, the dots connected, intelligence made, and uh, disseminated in a timely manner so it can prevent and, if necessary, prepare and respond. But, you know, we'd like to get inside the, the enemy, and the enemy can be terrorists, it can be cr- criminals, it can be the drug cartels, it can be gang level threes, but get inside their decision cycle and uh, prevent that. So 
What we found is, first and foremost, what uh, the law enforcement community wanted is they just wanted to be able to collaborate. They wanted to take their laptop. They wanted to do something other than share information from from uh, cubicle to cubicle. They wanted to make that laptop into something that was uh, real-time, that allowed people to see things simultaneously and collaborate. So the first thing they wanted, we found, was collaboration, uh, something to be able to allow them to do that. The next thing that we found is, the, in terms of fusion, they wanted to see it visually depicted geospatially. They wanted that initial uh, visual analytics or picture speaks a thousand words. Uh, at the same time, management wanted to be involved from start to finish. They wanted to know when a request came in. They wanted to be able to oversee the analysts to ensure that the analysts were working right, and they wanted to know when it left. And the final thing that the requirement we found is that they wanted some type of key performance indicators captured for two reasons. The watch officers always have to give their senior leaders a brief, and that was taking three or four hours to prepare they wondered is if, if we could have some type of reporting mechanism where it would automatically, they could just print and it had their slides. The other thing is they found out that they were having to go back every year and capture by stubby pencil how to, how to justify what they contributed to in terms of um, law enforcement and how, you know, preventions, responses, and so on. So we took all those those four pieces and we tied them together with uh, with some software and something called Workflow. We have a strategic architect named Dave Stanfly, so that that ex that happens exactly the way we talked about. There is a workflow format where the information comes in. It's put into an in, in a form, and it goes. It's automatically sent into a collaboration site. The management knows it. They designate a analyst or an analyst to share workspace to begin working that up. It's automatically geocoded, put up onto a map where they can see not only that dot, if you will, but any dots that are similar. Well, I mean, dots are similar, but any incidents that are similar in that area or around that area. And management can watch the analyst, and when it's ready to go out, they have the final release authority. All this time, it's all this information is being captured. And additionally, when it comes in, at, uh, you know, in terms of record retention policy, we provide management a tool to, to monitor 28 CFR 23, which is that there's a criminal predicate and how long information be kept on a U.S. citizen. Right. For those in the audience that aren't aware of um, 28 CFR Part 23, it's um, a, a regulation that that governs databases that are shared using intelligence, um, especially databases that receive federal funding, mm -hmm. and it. it offers guidelines on how long you could retain information. Say, if an investigation hasn't been active in five years, the, that data has to be removed from the database, and automating that process is very important so that you're not wasting manpower trying to regulate the database in order for exactly. it to be compliant. Um, so, Joe, well, now where are you at with this project now? You said you started in the Illinois State Police. Where? And we, we did it very judiciously. I said we, uh, we started in 2006 when we, we gathered information, and then we finally started building the initial architecture, which was uh, kind of a framework. And we unveiled that in 2007 with uh, a joint unveiling with Illinois State Police at uh, a Microsoft Public Sector Symposium. Uh, we then found out the customers just said, hey, look, we just want a start point. We don't want a detailed analysis. We want we want fusion in the box. In fact, that's what uh, the watch a person, a guy named Ron Lavelle from the Washington State Fusion Center. I want fusion in the box. So we listened to them. We went back out. And we found although if you've been to a fusion center, you've been to a fusion center. Every every all of them are different, but yet there's there are basic commonalities too. So we went to several fusion centers: um, Massachusetts State Fu or Commonwealth Fusion Center, San Diego Sheriff's Department. We listened to Washington State. We went down to L.A. Clear, which is the Haida uh, Clearinghouse. And we found a lot of commonality, and we went back to the drawing board, and we came out with Fusion in a box, or what we call the Fusion Core Solution, which is a start point. It basically does exactly what I described earlier. Um, we are now, we've, we have finished the architecture. We, in fact, to do this, we had a team with a company called ESRI, which is one of the top teams, if not the top team in the nation, top company, that does geospatial analysis. So we, we, we teamed with them and we established a glueware that glues Microsoft SharePoint and other products to our, uh, ESRI's ArcGIS 9.3.1. We have now finished the architecture. Uh, we are 
now putting it in a pilot with the Washington State Fusion Center and the Utah Fusion Center. That will be 90 days. They'll start at the end of the week. One starts this week. One starts next week. And that is to refine the code, just to make sure that you know, to make sure it works exactly. We have ran it, but now we want to put it in a real environment with people's hands on. And then uh, we're going to run it for 90 days, and the code will be complete. Now we have we are prepared at this point. This is the issue uh, when we start this project. Microsoft, uh, underneath the leadership of then U.S. Public Sector Vice President Linda Zecker, and now she's worldwide Public Sector Vice President. We undertook this as a citizenship thing. Is that we were not asking for money to invest in this. We we were doing this because we wanted to get into the fight against crime and terrorism and so on. So what to do, you know, in the end result is the glueware, the Fusion Core Solution Custom Code that we have developed and that we're testing right now will be given away to the public sector for free. Uh, the only thing the public sector have to has to purchase to use this is they got to have the software, both Microsoft and ESRI, which it's predominantly out there and it's just not being optimized. Um, they get the glueware for free and then they have to either install it themselves or, or pay for a, a, a delivery partner or their, their people to put it, to glue it together. So that's how that's going to work. So it uh, will be, it's out there now. We can give it away once we validate it's, it's a valid public sector customer. We just don't want anybody to get a hold of it. Um, at the same time, it will be, we're going to start a fusion. It's going to be called a, a fusion center of excellence. It's going to be tentatively hosted by the Miami Police Department, Miami-Dade Police Department, where public sector folks can come in there. They're validated, and then they'll have access to the code and anything else that we put up there, like different applications, which will integrate with the Fusion Core solution. So since I'm not the most technical person, even though I, I was an analyst and I learned how to do mapping and I used okay. the Esri product, like ArcView was the Esri product I used, right. and now it's... Um, ArcGIS and most analysts I know, and at the local level, use that software. Um, I I still don't speak the language, and many analysts don't. We do have some highly technical analysts working, but many of us came from different sorts of backgrounds, and and maybe we need some examples of what does that fusion in the box look like in the real world? What what kinds of information will be in the box, and what can we do with it that we couldn't do before? That we can do much quicker now that we have this tool as it emerges. Okay. Let, let me uh, let me try to walk you through this. If I get too detailed, let me know and I'll stop. But okay. When when a, uh, we'll say a, a service request or an information comes in and there's a, what this allows, it allows an intake officer to look at that information and then he will put it in a form. It can be a tips and lead form. It can be a SAR form or whatever that information is appropriate. He will then enter that information, and uh, this is all based on uh, InfoPath, which is based on forms. He'll then put that information in. He'll automatically hit a button, which will geocode it and put it in. This is why it becomes user-friendly for the analyst, and it will come up on a map. He can then also put in, okay, I want to know any related uh, incidents around this and hit that, and that will populate the map. He will then send that, basically, and that information is captured. That's the service That's the uh, service request. He'll then take that and send that to the watch officer. Um, the watch officer, it's the intake form. The watch officer will then get that on his dashboard. He'll understand he has a, a request that needs to be worked. He'll, on his dashboard, he has the capability of sitting there and seeing which analysts are on shift. He'll be able, and what their workload is right now, and he'll be able to select an analyst and send that service request to that analyst. Now, the watch officer will be able to retain a chronological, once he gets that service request, it automatically begins a chronological log of the actions taken on this issue. So when he selects an analyst or an analyst, he creates a workspace. It is then sent to that analyst or analyst, and they have the map which they can use to, uh, they can, it's already populated, but they can populate with additional data. They just, it's, it's going to be very user-friendly. Um, they can do link analysis. Uh, they can then, uh, they have, where they can keep workups, they can do workups on vehicles, whatever they need to do. They have a library where they can put, keep all this information as they do their workups. And when they've done, when the an analysis is complete, they have a, uh, 
they hit a form to disseminate. So all this information automatically is that they have done the workup on automatically goes in a dissemination form. Uh, they ensure that the dissemination form is marked correctly. Like not every they like we'll say there's four people getting this uh, information. Maybe not all should get all the information. They have the capability to mark a block for who gets what information, and then also how they get. You know, some pre, some people may want to get it by phone. Some may want an email. Some may want a fax. All this is included. And then when the analyst and this is very quick. I'm just going through this very quickly. When the analyst has got this ready to go. He or she hits uh, send. It goes to the watch officer for final review, and the watch officer clears it. And everything, all that information is captured in the records, and uh, it's it's gone out to uh, when the watch officer disseminates it. It goes out to the officers who need it as quickly as possible. So that's kind of it, very quickly. Does that uh, answer your question? Yes, and I'll just put it into um, in my own words um, for okay. the audience. Um, so you have information such as. A fusion center will be different than working at the local level where an analyst might be just reviewing, not just reviewing crime, but say they're assigned to diagnose crime problems by not getting an assignment. It's like they come in daily and review the data. But in a fusion center, there's information coming in all the time. So tips and leads could be about possible suspicious behavior, or SARS are the suspicious activity reports that come from financial institutions, um, banking, that some of the analysts won't know be familiar with that are listening. So this all goes into an information format. So everything's better organized and there's templates that templates so everyone kind of understands what they're getting and where it goes. And and when the officer um enters this into the system, they might themselves have curiosity and say, Well I want to know what might be related to this because they they have at that point the ability to add some related information, say related um, suspicious activity, or say um, uh, people might be related to this particular incident. And then the watch officer gets this once it's completed. And when if the watch officer decides it's worth analyzing, because sometimes there's so much information coming in, I doubt that everything gets analyzed. But when it's something that's meaningful, it goes to the, an analyst who's available. And all this time, everything that happens in this whole process is tracked chronologically, so there's accountability for how long analysis takes, how long right. it takes for an important piece of information to get up to the chain of command to get actually produced into an important analytical product. And that kind of thing doesn't really exist in the field of analysis very well right now, at least in policing. And as the analyst gets the assignment, they have their own workspace, which also keeps a record of everything that's done, any research they've done, so that they don't have to, if they're working on something similar, they can look at that workspace and find the research they've done that's been relevant. It sounds great to me. They could do um, a link analysis will show how people are related, how communication is related, if there's, if there's some kinds of information on, on telephone records or cell phone records or, or such or computer communication, what vehicles are related. So link analysis, for those people listening don't understand, shows the relationship visually of, of entities and activities um, and charts. And then um, there is a form once the an analysis is done, and there is something to, to disseminate. The, the form, it sounds like it's, it's also under, easily understandable because it's always formatted the same way, and there's the ability to automatically not show certain things to people. So um, at a local level, um, example, let's say I was producing a, a product for investigators, but it was also going to the mayor. The mayor might not need to know everything because it's, it will compromise an investigation. So I would delete, you know, I wouldn't, I'd have levels of, of what was shown in a product. Um, and then, then, then the, the distribution levels to the people can actually say how they prefer to receive analytical products, which is also great because an analytical product that doesn't get into the user's hand is worthless, the person who can make the decision to do something to prevent a crime or terrorism. And then, so the analyst, though, also has the accountability of having their watch officer review everything, and um, I think that sounds great. Did I get it right? Yes, you did. You're much better than I did. You're much, much more articulate. <laughs> the, the, the issue here is... Everybody, what, what Fusion Core Solution is, it's, it uh, allows you also to, to reach down into your databases. That, but this is not about databases. This is putting an umbrella over your databases. And that, you know, there's other things can be added on here to make single sign-on. You know, like some, 
some state police organizations and some cities have numerous databases. One in particular, I know it has 30 databases, and they have 20 minutes from the time of a, a, a of a stop of a, a vehicle to search 30 databases with single sign-on, which is that's a nightmare, and they don't always get it done. But uh, but this is not about that. This is about allowing analysts a collaboration site. There's wikis involved where they can exchange information and ideas, and it's really unique and allows. For me, as a former operator, it allows that laptop to be something more than the word processor and a PowerPoint machine. It allows it to be, I mean, it, all, it becomes as important as the gun is to the cop on the street, to the And how analyst. does it work? So when you use that laptop example, which is intriguing, um, so are the databases are obviously remote and access through some interface. So are, are you basically describing this as an interface to access information and to um, use the tools that exist in your systems more effectively? Is well, what, what we're trying to do with Fusion Core Solutions is providing an analytical tool or, or a collaboration tool where all this information comes into a worksite. Now, if people, I mean, and that sits on top of databases now, what I would propose, I mean, I think everybody wants to get the single sign-on rather than signing out, you know, having uh, passwords for 30 separate databases. Why not figure it? Why, I mean, can IT solve that problem? The answer is yes, and it's, it's, it's called the Enterprise Service Bus, which allows it to sit on top, which when the idea ultimately, if you want, if you want to go or if you want to look at what we're going to do in the future, what we're actually doing with San Diego Sheriff is, is we're going to is, it, we're going to install our enterprise service bus, which is something called BizTalk, which as it comes in, as a service request comes in in terms of uh, it can be a tips or leave, whatever, when it hits that, uh, since you got with the enterprise service bus, you have single sign-on, that's already going down through the enterprise service bus, goes over the 30 databases, and is calling up the information. Like if, it's, if, the, request, if the service request is, I want to know about Joe Rosick, all that information is already being brought up into the workspace so that by the time the analyst is assigned or analyst, all that information is already present. That's, that's, that would be the ultimate goal so that the analyst doesn't have to go down and single sign on 30 databases. Well, that sounds excellent. Now, maybe you could give me an example. When, um, when I was approached um, by a friend of yours, I believe, Chuck Giorgio, to, to do a radio, this blog, podcast with you, I said, well, you know, I'm not a salesperson for Microsoft or anybody. I didn't say it quite like that, but <laughs> but I am also, um, I do happen to be an advisor for a software company um, called IX Reveal, and they've been yes. actually just recognized as a Microsoft Gold Certified Partner, which I, I don't know. I'm an advisor more because I, I, IX Reveal started working in law enforcement at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. Right. Um, and Matt White, who's um, mm -hmm. one of my favorite analysts and one of the most progressive <laughs> analysts in the world, he um, told me this is a great software. And, and, and I actually have never used it, but I understand the potential of text analytics and building concepts to search these different databases. And, and I was assured that this, this um, Fusion Core doesn't eliminate it. It isn't competing. Yep. It's, it's an over, over the, as you said, an umbrella. And it's an umbrella. As I said, I'm not a tech, techie, so I don't understand. How would, for example, IX Reveal text analytics be used under this umbrella? Like, where would it fit in? I know you have the mapping. I know you have, um, um, you know, there's different databases that exist and, you know, all sorts of things that people can collect. But where would you, where would this other types of software fit? It like, would be, you know, analyst notebook and everything like that. Sorry. It would integrate, to, if you look at, into the collaboration portal, uh, if you take a look and, and you, if you draw a box and you say that's the horizontal platform. The horizontal platform is is, is basically SharePoint. It's uh, ESRI's ArcGIS 9. We don't do analytics, so through web parts and IPs uh, or APs, uh, APIs, we connect the verticals. We consider an analytical to a vertical. We don't do that, nor do we intend to do that. But the uh, the companies like you just uh, acknowledged that would fit into the analytical space of this thing. When it comes in, it goes into the, the SharePoint site, the workspace site. That is automatically uh, included in it through web parts where that information is, is, goes, flows through the analytical tool to the, uh, to the analyst. That makes sense to you. 
as it's I, being I think so. Um, maybe now you don't have use any certain visualization tools such as I2 Analyst Notebook, or or is that? No, that is that's for the customer to decide what they want, okay. and then that's in, that's integrated either by the customer's architects or by our architects or by the service provider architects, or it can be the uh, the ver- what we call vertical partners architects or jointly. So what would you say, I mean, it seems, because I understand the field a little better than some people, I, it, so the advantage seems obvious, but how do you describe this advantage to other people who who might not realize how, how um, fragmented analysis can be if you don't have this tool to streamline things, like like what's the difference of what will be the difference of using this this model this this um, architecture as you say to to facilitate information analysis compared to the way we're doing it now. Well, in, in those let me go back to the days that when this first popped into my mind where I knew there had to be a better way to do this. I was sent over to White House right after 911. I went to after serving on the Vice President's uh, Domestic Preparedness Review Group. I went to work for Tom Ridge, and I became his de facto intelligence officer. And the way that we were, um, and we, you know, in terrorism, you, you never know when you're effective, but you know when you're not effective because the attack comes through. And what we're doing on a daily basis, anything that struck our attention that um, might be related, and, and, and a lot of people during those times wanted to say this is terrorism, this is criminal, you can't tell maybe for days or months. So we would take a look at we would literally circle it, we'd put a dot on the map. Now, and, and we kept that, and we kept watching until we saw a trend. Um, we, as I left... Uh, government and, came, and was uh, was hired by Microsoft to be you know to think about these things. So there's got to be a better way. We need to be able to automate this stuff so that when it comes in, it's automatically geocoded. And you know, being an operator, um, my the thing that I wanted most was to see things, to see the dots, so I could connect them because a, a terrorism or crime or whatever, you know, they all leave trails, if you will, and they set trends, and you can watch it. And you'll be able to get inside your uh, your enemy's decision cycle. So, ultimately, what that does now, just the, compared to what we were doing then, we we're doing it, and I'm, many fusion centers are doing this today. They're they're doing it by um, by hand, by putting dots on the map, or they're passing papers cubicle to cubicle. And sometimes those papers are read, sometimes they're not. But just think about the efficiency and effectiveness of doing of automating that when it comes in automatically geocoding and putting it on a map and having that works and making that instead of on a map on on your laptop or on your PC so that workspace can be shared by numerous analysts some seeing some something somewhere else maybe they have a different part of the city or the state to look at but as they look at you, what as they look at this this SharePoint site or this workspace they're sitting there going wait a minute you got that going on in the eastern side of the state I've got this going on in Western. Is there some type? Maybe there's something going on here. Maybe we need to talk more. So it allows for greater efficiency and effectiveness, but it also takes the time that you used to do, that, that analysts used to spend just on tactical analysis. It frees that up to then begin doing strategic analysis, which is where we need to be to really prevent uh, rather than prepare and respond. And um, I... I what you've said has brought a few things to mind to me. But so we have the dots on the map, but also if you're showing relationships, sometimes things aren't related geographically, but they're related by other factors, other variables, yes. and and you can see those. So people should understand because you might have analysts only looking for dots that are, have some kind of geographical similarity or, or proximity. Yet there's other types of relationships and patterns that can be displayed yes. that are in, important indicators or things. That, that we need to pay more attention to things. Um, I, I also I would like also to, add. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Going to also add. It also becomes a training tool for a senior analyst to train a junior analyst on what to look for and the relationships you're talking about. You get out of the formal classroom training into mentoring by analyst. Well, that's really funny that you say that because I just started a business for mentoring analysts. So, <laughs> but um, workspace um, shared by various analysts isn't really happening that much, at least in many agencies that I know. And and um, would there be some problems with that? I mean, is there a, there 
should be just like in a wiki where whatever changes are made are could be undone or that there's some kind of audit trail that one analyst did this and one did that. Is that happen? Or that that all can be captured, number one, through SharePoint, uh, who has what access, who does what to what documents and so on. But I, I think this goes into um, if we're going to have true fusion, we've got to realize we're no longer in the 20th century. We're not protecting secrets anymore. We need to go into there isn't a need to know but a need to share. Um, I think the information that we have on terrorist cells, we just recently know that there was uh, something brewing in New York City and Denver and other areas. Um, that type of information, the terrorist information, the gang information, the drug cartel, all that's out there. We just we got to unravel the mysteries, and you can't do it just by a single person. It takes multiple people comparing notes and, and, and contrasting to figure out what's going on until we get in. And this helps, this provides the tools to help break the old cultural barrier of need to know. And I, I'm really, after working after 911, I'm a b- big believer that we've got to get over that culture. We've got to pass those cultural barriers. You, it's not an IT problem, it's a cultural problem. And we've got to overcome that to be able to actually do, uh, uh, to, to prevent the next incident, be it crime or, or a drug cartel's activities or a terrorist event. Right. And um, maybe um, you can help our audience understand the difference between strategic analysis and tactical analysis. Um, I've been doing some work on that. I know in Dr. Jerry Radcliffe's book, Intelligence-Led Policing, there's an emphasis on strategic analysis that decision makers make a real impact on the criminal environment rather than the traditional apprehend people after a crime occurs Mm -hmm. and recycle them and the crime environment never changes. So... and Dr. Radcliffe also wrote a book about strategic criminal intelligence, or edited a book. And 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 I think that, at least on a local level, there's still not a great understanding of what strategic analysis is, so perhaps you could describe that more for my audience. Well, from my standpoint, uh, every organization, criminal, terrorist, drug organization, will have they, – they have an organizational – they have an organization made up of components. Um, you're going to have, uh, and I'll speak to the terrorists, uh, you're going to have the, um, what we call the, what I will call the underground, Those that's to support the logisticians, the, the recruiters, the trainers. Um, you're going to have those people who do uh, document forging or the financiers. Then you have the operators. A little bit, I'm being very simplistic, but each one, and you have these subsets, so each one of these subsets do things, and they have indicators. There should be indicators, like we'll say the, uh, the document, the, the falsifiers of documents. Um, there are certain th- indicators that you should see that will indicate that there is something going on. Um, your your log- logisticians will, if, if it's going to be uh, a, we'll say they're attempting to, do a, uh, a bomb something, uh, there's going to have to be a gathering of um, munitions. It can be ammonitrate, it can be, can be breaking into a, a quarry and stealing the demolitions there. All these things, these are the are indicators, and each law enforcement knows what these indicators are, and if they, if they don't, they should try to gather these things so that your analysts know what indicators to look for. And when these, when you get more than one or two or three things, you sit there and say, "Wait a minute, there's something going on here." Like I got this 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 document maker, and we have him being connected with a guy who is connected to uh, a drug cartel. Let's let's kind of watch this. So you get you start to watch and you build a picture. When you got the right intelligence and information enough to perhaps create an arrest. You turn that over to your folks to to do the rest. But the strategic is long term. This this is where you you start you start and watch the trends, and you're not reacting. You're you're going in and you're looking. You're gathering the intelligence, the information, and making it intelligence so that you can build a picture. And you actually want to, if you do it right, you're able to discern what the what the cell is. Most of these organizations work in cell structures, where only one person will know one other person. And they have that contact. Sometimes they only have personal contact. But you'll be able to watch and build the cell structure of a document fraud side of it. 
Uh, it may be more than one people, maybe two or three people. And when you take that cell down, after you know what that cell is, you can take all three or four people down at one time. But it takes it takes time. This is where you you look for the trends, you build, you kind of fill out what the what the uh, organization is or that part of the organization. And when you're ready, in order to prevent and preempt, you take down the cell. That for me, that's what strategic analysis does. And um, how do you think one one thing that has bothered me as a working analyst when I was a working analyst was that there's a lot of academic research on, um, on things. There's all these programs and studies, but for the person, the analyst working in the real world at the practical level trying to produce actionable knowledge, it's not so easy to distill all this research. So when you say we need to know the indicators of what we should be looking at at the local, regional, state levels, but but that's not really compiled in a practical level always. Um, how could we get more of that from your point of view? When you said, you know, b- breaking into quarries and taking demolition um, equipment, that might, I mean, obviously some, that would probably be in the newspaper. Perhaps. I don't know if it would be, so maybe a federal agency might notice, but maybe the quarry we have in Lockport, New York, might not, you know, the Lockport police might not necessarily, they might, they might be taking other things too and not necessarily notice the thing the indicator that would be something we should be paying attention to? Well, uh, let's start at the – I think that, that cities should uh, should make a request to the states and states should request to the federal government, DHS and FBI uh, and DEA, what are the indicate? What – what is – first of all, what is the – I I still do not believe. Let me go back to first another the first point. I do not believe that our government has the federal government has acknowledged that we have possibly an active insurgency in this country. So if I was at the city or local or local or state level, I would require I would request information on what is what do we believe today to be the organizational uh, structure of the terrorist cells. Of, of criminal cells, of gangs, gang level threes, and uh, and you can be particular. You can ask about MS-13, for example, and uh, specific drug cartels, and then say, okay, that's organization. Now, what are the indicators of activities within these cell structures? Because first of all, you have to admit that you got these things, and then by now, after eight years, just with the terrorists, we should have some type of organizational structure outlined and what the indicators of, of activities are. So I would say I would I would go to the, if I was a city I'd go to the state if I was a state fusion center I would go to the federal government and say I want this stuff and if there's a bigger if there's a, a large enough demand for the information that perhaps the federal government has or the state government has that information is going to be passed down to you but you know you, I don't think that there's been an active request for I want to know what does MS how does MS13 operate what is their organization what is their standard operating procedures? I can't. I have to believe that, for instance, DEA has that information. Now, is it published? I don't know. Um, but I think it's out there, and I think that now, if that isn't there, then I think if I was an analyst, I'd start. And there's a lot of literature out there. I'd start doing my own research and coming up with what I believe the organizational structure is and what I need to look at. Because a fraudulent, uh, you know, somebody who who uh, is a document maker. There will be the same indicators for that, for a terrorist cell, for a for a criminal cell, for a, an, an MS-13 type cell. So there's two ways you can request it from from you from the state and locals or state and federal, or you can start doing your own research. Uh, it I I think that these type of things should have been published already and be pushed down uh, to locals so that they so the local analysts and state analysts so that they know what they're looking for. Right, and some, and I speak to that because I think, as a local level analyst who who skimmed um, at least a hundred thousand crime reports in the ten years I was an analyst, sometimes things would jump out to me. They might not even be on a list, but they they could be a category of something that's important because part of my job was tactical crime analysis, where I'd be mm-hmm. looking for serial crimes early in a series. So you didn't know, you can't know what the series is if until it happens, you know. But there were norms of what could be a series and, yes. and so they would be indicators so i i think that is a failure of our, our, the changes in intelligence um post 9 11 i 
that was what my book, Out of Bounds, was about, basically, that we need to do just what you said, develop new relationships. We don't really know how to collaborate as well as we should. It sounds like having the tools will promote the culture, but we still need people to understand the importance of collaboration and how all these different types of information can, when combined, can produce new knowledge that could help us not only disrupt terrorist cells or, or arrest people, but to, to find ways to prevent, let's say, if some kind of equipment is used to commit some kind of act, we can actually limit access to the equipment and then reduce the probability. Exactly. So it's not just about always catching the people. It's like disrupting systems of how crimes are occurring or how exactly. um, threats to our national security are occurring. Um, what would you say, what kinds of information, as people are developing fusion centers and people are wor working collaboratively as analysts, what, what from your knowledge base would you say are, are the most important types of information that analysts should have available to them? Well, I'm a big believer, and uh, I think that you know, again we have to get we have to get past a you know a need to know versus a need to share today. And I think we have to understand it's a need to share. Um, I was talking to then the fire commissioner of, of of Chicago, and he was complaining about that he has you know his firemen. There are kids walking up to his firemen every day of the week. Giving you know just sharing information with the firemen just you know because kids will come talk to firemen. There's firemen sitting outside their station, and he said we got no place to we have no place to send this information. It's it's not spying or anything. It's just it's it's nuggets. I think that uh, the public safety sector needs to open up and look at all of it. Um, we don't know where that granular piece of information is going to come from. It's not just going to come from law enforcement or from informants. Let's go back to uh, 911. I mean, down in uh, we had people in our education system. They were civilian educated uh, education system. It was a, you know the people teaching people how to fly, but there were things that they saw. There were abnormalities or anomalies. The, the the gentleman trying to learn how to fly wanted to take off but not know how to land. Uh, they were very um, they were not happy people. They're not very polite people. Uh, those same people down in Florida were looking at crop dusters. They had all there's. We can go on. I mean, there's. There some of it was law enforcement. Some of these uh, hijackers. In fact, one of the hijackers was picked up in Arlington, Virginia, which is what 10 miles from the capital. Uh, the next four days later, he was. I think it was four days later. He was flying a plane into the Pentagon. But we, you know, we don't. I guess the bottom line is what I'm trying to say is uh, we don't know where this information is going to come from. So we need to understand that we need to broaden our horizons, we need to broaden our relationships, and understand is that technology uh, will allow you to, you know, when you bring this information, everybody says, well, we need security. We don't, we don't want to share. It'll break up. It'll, it'll, cause the, um, uh, it'll cause the case to be compromised. What you gave an excellent example earlier is that you can, technology can fix it so that, you know, when you make a report, you the stuff that is related to the takedown or the investigation does not have to be released. It's all up to you folks. Um, so the issue, I think, the biggest issue is understanding is that we have to broaden our horizons so that the information coming in comes from as many sources as possible out there. It can come from a little old lady uh, who is reporting something to a fire marshal. It can come from a fire marshal inspecting a building and smelling something that in the storage area that doesn't it, that isn't right, so he has a place to to send it to, which should be the the fusion center. So it's overcoming this issue about it's got to be a law enforcement only. It, it's it's got to be the broad public safety sector where we we share information that we can share, but we retain information we want to share between law enforcement, the rest of the public safety sector, our citizens, and also our emergency operations center. Uh, the big thing I learned on 911 is that because there was no sharing of information between the intelligence side and, and the response side, is that after 911 we were trying to, to bring the two uh, two together. And while we we're doing that, quite frankly, I think uh, I called it the tyranny of time. While we we're doing that, a lot of people died. Um, I can give an example of how frustrating it can be as an analyst if you don't have access to information. I was supposed to do analysis for grants, 
part of my job sometimes. And our county had our records management systems, but they did not want to give me arrest data, my own department's address data, because they said it was illegal. And and it was my job to analyze information, and I could not obtain it for years. I finally did, because obviously after 9-11, people started understanding more and more broadly the value of analyzing information. Mm -hmm. However, what I call CSI syndrome, this public thinks that, we actually have all these tools like TV screens dropping down with every bit of information available to investigators and that the investigators you know, can, can just ask a question and get it answered. But one thing that concerns me as a citizen is, is that um, crime data is not available. You, in many states, many localities, crime data belongs just to the agency that collects it and it isn't shared. And so we can't detect these regional crime problems or possible threats or or um, even sometimes local, say in my county there's probably 25 agencies operating and we all have different data and there's no way to co-locate it right now and, and, and it concerns me because I think there are indicators, those little nuggets you're talking about that the children are telling the fire department. And, and on the other part of it is we have officers on the street, no one's debriefing. I do, from my knowledge of the military, I've never served, that, you know, people are in the field, they get debriefed when they come back, but we don't debrief our people. You know, if, we're lo- if we have good managers and, and we have agencies that, that insist on field interview forms, field interview reports, and they get digitized, you have access to that information. But many agencies don't collect the data in the field, which is the most some of the most valuable data. So um, I'd just like perhaps you could speak to that. No, I have to agree with you. The most important data in my eyes is the people in the field and the citizens and, and what they believe may not be of any significance is. And I know my neighborhood better than anybody else. The cop on the, on the beat knows his neighborhood. The fireman that has sitting outside in, in his area that he takes knows if they see something that is not should not be there, that needs to be, they, we need to get into the, the mindset to get that information, to put that into, to, again, we go back to a fusion center, where analysts can be sitting and listening and watching and seeing this information come in to, to, you know, to connect the dots, if you will. Um, and my worry is, I, I, I would bet you after 911, everybody reported everything. I mean, um, the the incident the incident I gave you just a little bit ago where I, I used a, I said uh, a lady a, a little old lady and she and she actually was she was in Racine Wisconsin we saw something out of the ordinary she reported it her, her uh, it didn't nobody would take it seriously she wound up calling the Office of Homeland Security Watch Center I came in the next morning it had to do with uh, some type of dive equipment that she, that she wasn't familiar with that she had watched. Lloyd Bridges Sea Hunt, where you have um, these tanks that blow bubbles. These things were just different. She said they looked like something from outer space. Well, I had ran the Special Forces Combat Dive Qualification course in Key West, and what she described very aptly, and I read in the morning report, was a a Dreger system, a rebreather that doesn't blow bubbles, which caused, in 2002, if you go back, you saw it was on CNN. The FBI was combing every dive shop in the nation, sitting there finding out, uh, and What's going on here? Are there people buying Dreggers that don't need to be buying Dreggers? And, and in fact, they were. And we, you know, what did we prevent? We don't know, but we at least intercepted something. So that that was uh, that's the type of information that's got to come in and be looked at and connected with. And we did connect with other things. And then you can that strategic analysis where you actually preempt something. And we and got it. Just, and, go ahead. Oh well, you just mentioned an important. Thing that's also an, an obstacle sometimes to getting people to understand is prevent. We don't always know. We don't know what we prevent. That's right. And and that's a big problem because when you're advocating for more resources to prevent, you can't say what you prevent. You're right. I mean that's the whole thing about you know when you prevent crime, prevent terrorism, prevent uh, counter the drug drug side of the house. Uh, what are you? You, know, you, you don't. You you know when you're not successful because the incident occurs. You never know when you are successful um and that's that's the you know that's the tough part of there you know in terms of being able to sell that to um to the state legislatures and the and the, and the congress 
Um, but after the event, everybody's upset, and of course they throw a lot of money at that point, and a lot of money like after 911 got wasted. So I had, I mean, a, I had an a, intern, I had an intern of Middle Eastern background, just that was working with me in my crime analysis mm-hmm. unit, not that long after 9/11, and he was working with a researcher on studying graffiti, and mm-hmm. so he was taking pictures, and we had an officer stop him, and you know, because he was acting suspicious. He was taking photos of city buildings, but he was right. legitimate. And that was close to 9-11. And, and you were stating how you're worried that um, because our public our, our public awareness of the threat is decreasing since things haven't happened on our soil, that, that people won't realize that it still could happen and, and will probably happen because unless we eliminate... The, the threat from um, Al-Qaeda and other similar organizations, there'll be problems. What do you think about the other types of terrorist threats, like the homegrown terrorists? Well, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that we don't have to have a system just focused on Al-Qaeda uh, or the other overseas terrorists. I think an analyst is an analyst, and, and that he, he or she will, if you have them dedicated to, okay, we got to, Overseas terrorism, we got domestic terrorist organizations. I guess when I, the same procedures that and policies and so on that that you use for overseas terrorism or or crime or drug cartels should apply. I mean, you'll find if you use those same tools on uh, the white supremacist movements or the uh, or the uh, ecology terrorists, ecological terrorist organizations. Um, those same, I mean, you're going to, those same dots will show up on the map. I mean, they all have. Once you understand the organizational structure and the indicators of, their, of what they are doing, be it gathering you know, uh, intelligence or because they're always, for instance, if they're going to do something to a site, they're just not going to walk up on that site. They're going to have already been there, looked at it, and they're going to. They will show that they're out of place. So all these things that you learn from one are are applicable to another. And I, I think that. That we got to be versatile. We can't have our economy and our, our revenue capabilities no longer allow us to have separate templates for each. We got to be able to do more with less, and the the information technology tools that we're working on will allow that to occur. Um, some of the fusion centers are all crime all crimes fusion centers, mm-hmm. meaning that they also analyze crime along with. Homeland Security issues, terrorist threats, um, emergency preparedness. What do you think of the, uh, the? Do you see the value in the all crimes approach, or do you see that as diluting the mission of the fusion center to to work on homeland security and counterterrorism issues? I believe that the all crimes, all hazards um, fusion center is the way of the future, and the way that eventually, either by by design because of need to know or need to share or by financial constraints, that's where all fusion centers will go. When you get a, a piece of information in, I, I, there are some who believe you can classify it terrorism or criminal. I don't believe that you can, and I'll give you a reason why. Uh, in Half of my career in Army Special Forces was in unconventional warfare where I was trained to go in and establish resistance movements in denied areas. Uh, my, when you go in and establish a resistance movement, understand a resistance movement is, uh, for one man, a, resistance, a movement is resistance, for another man, it's an insurgency. So one man's resistance movement is another man's insurgency. What you go in actually and do is establish, because you're in denied area, uh, you're establishing a, a criminal network um, because you've got to have false documents. You've got to have transportation methodology. You've got to have, you know, you've got to have all these logistics, which usually winds up... Uh, Establishing a network to acquire this stuff illegally in that country because you're not re- you can't be resupplied. So, uh, I mean, so what is criminal and what is uh, what is uh, terrorism? I, I think that we won't know. An excellent example is uh, you can find in Tom Ridge's book uh, that he just published. Uh, the Lackawanna uh, incident started off with a, uh, a piece of intelligence from DEA indicating that there was uh, a drug activity west of Lackawanna 
by a certain group of people, and we began following that. Now, had we not, had that been um, just set aside because it was drug-related and not terrorist-related, who knows if we would have been able to unearth the entire cell and their connection with the overseas side of it. But the issue was we didn't allow that to be classified as criminal only. We put that, we took a look at it, we kept track of it, and when other indicators showed up, which were also not terrorism-related, and then we began seeing more and more connectivity, and we saw some other activity which then became terrorism-related. It, it all gelled at the right time, and, and the FBI was able to take the cell down pretty much in total, I think. So you never know. It, all crimes, all hazards is the best way to use the taxpayer's money, but also the best way to share information and find that thing that you thought was not important all of a sudden becomes very important. Well, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I, I'm right now sitting about two miles away from or less where the Lackawanna Southern mm-hmm. was located. So, well, in an ideal world, um, what would you like to see for the future? As you know, I, I know you're you're working with Microsoft on this platform of information sharing collaboration. How would you like to see fusion centers perform, and what value? do you think analysis will add not only to Homeland Security but to the world of policing? Well, first and foremost, uh, I think that, and I find state and local governments more, they're more readily available to do this, but, you know, public-private sector alliances have absolutely got to be the way of the future. Uh, and the reason why I say that is, you know, we let's go back to World War II. We we did not win World War II just through our might as a nation militarily. We we relied on our private sector. We built an alliance. We not only outfitted um, the American forces, but we have outfitted entire Allied forces. Uh, we came up with things like the Manhattan Project and so on. And so I think the private sector needs to step up more and the public sector needs to accept that so that we establish an alliance, and I didn't say partnership. For me, a partnership is where the two entities come and say, okay, here's what I want to show you, and they kind of do a dance, and, and but you don't get the optimum product. An alliance is where both both like a law enforcement community and a private, private sector vendor sit there and say, okay, let's put everything on the table, and we're going to try to figure out how to take our – uh, our strengths and build and overcome each other's weaknesses to produce something that is usable by the end user, which is a customer, the law enforcement. Until we get into that mentality where it becomes, instead of a one-off, it becomes the way we do business, we're never really going to get ahead of the power curve. So I would, I would like to see more public-private sector alliances in the future where we build optimum solutions. We evolve them prior to the incident rather than trying to do it revolutionary after the incident. Uh, and so with that, as I, I don't think that any solution, and I don't say product, I say solution, because in terms of fusion core solution, it's not a single CD. It's an amalgamation of products. We have to start thinking about, A, optimization of the software that the customers already own, and, uh, and B, uh, how to improve on that. And the only way that can be improved on is to clear customer senior leader vision and then knowing clearly what the operator and analyst requirements are so that when the architects go to work, uh, they build an architecture that meets the requirements rather than having the people on the ground adjust to whatever they get, which is dangerous. A lot of times people won't use it because they weren't embraced when it was being constructed or it's just too it's not user-friendly. So that's what I would like to say. I think it all lies in in overcoming this fear of the private sector and establishing these alliances. And that means private sector has got to come to the table and be willing to to invest in the right solution. Um, there's a website called collaborativejustice.org, and they define collaboration, a working definition of collaboration as joining together to make possible that which cannot be accomplished alone. And I would just join you in saying that we – collaboration on this website says it's not networking. We're good at networking. We can coordinate. We can cooperate, but we need to collaborate to create that thing that can't be accomplished alone. And um, we just have another minute or so of the show. Is there some kind of concluding remark you'd you'd like to make, Joe? I really appreciate having you here. It's been an education for me as as well. 
No, I, I've enjoyed it, and I, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, what can I say? I think that we as a nation need to overcome the need to need to. It's not an information technology issue; it is a, a cultural issue. We need to become more vigilant. We need to stay vigilant, both uh, not just in terrorism, but crime, uh, drug cartels, gangs. And uh, we need to bring that information in because you know, it's, it's better to prevent and it'll be less, it's cheaper to the taxpayer to prevent than it is to respond uh, and uh, all, the, all the things that go along with that when you go into the response mode. So uh, well, that's my thought. Yes, and I also teach a course, International Criminal Organizations for the American Military University, and, and just the awareness of globalization of crime and how, and as you know, working in counterterrorism, how we're not just talking about our country, but we're, we're going to have to build new alliances in, in ways we haven't before in order to, to um, prevent um, and address the threats that face us in the future. So thank you very much. And now we're at the end of the show. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on Analyst Corner. Stay tuned for more expert guests and best practices in crime and intelligence analysis and policing. Again, thank you, Joe, and stay safe and keep on doing the good work that you've been doing for your career. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Deborah. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.